I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. The founder of one of the most innovative companies, in my opinion, is on the show today, Liz Powers. She's a Forbes 30 under 30 social entrepreneur and the founder of Artlifting. Her for-profit do good, do well company helps homeless and disabled individuals sell their artwork so they can put a roof over their heads and access new opportunity. This company has built the solution to a problem into their product, and their economic model is the way of the future. Liz bootstrapped the company to six figures before she took any funding. She now has investors like Blake McCoskey, the founder of Tom's Shoes, and many other notables. Artlifting has been featured on national TV programs like the Today Show, and some of their clients include Google and Staples. Liz is just getting started, and you will hear a lot more about her in the near future. Here she is now. Most of you know that I'm a big Headspace fan, and if you're new to the show, just as some background, I started using the Headspace app about a year ago, and it's been the single best thing I've ever done for myself. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes meditation and mindfulness is not what we imagine. (laughs) Yes, there are days when I feel like I'm in a Zen situation, and other days I've been known to hit the SOS button. There's literally an SOS button on the Headspace app. So there have been times where I've removed myself from certain situations and gone somewhere to push this button. One time I even escaped my car. So this quick three-minute mind saver has kept me from falling down that rabbit hole in some way. Or even saying things I didn't mean, maybe texting or emailing something to someone that I didn't mean. It's like taking a breath of fresh air and it just allows me to reset. And as Jimmy Fallon, who uses the app, has even said, it's great. This British guy comes on, tells me it's going to be all right. In fact, the British guy, Andy, who's been on the podcast, comes on and says this when you hit the SOS button. Okay, so you've hit the SOS button. So there's a pretty good chance you're feeling pretty stressed right now. So to begin with, I'd just like you to find a place where you can sit down just for two or three minutes, completely undisturbed. 
So maybe you already meditate, maybe not, but you want to start. Regardless of the case, let's be real. Most of us don't have a Zen sanctuary with a fluffy pillow, mood lighting to retreat to when we're about to lose it. So now you can literally have an SOS button that you push. It's a three-minute pause thanks to Headspace. There hasn't been a time when I've hit that button and it hasn't made me feel better. Liz, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. I am excited to chat with you and also really just to share your story with more people because you're doing something that is so critically unique and definitely a way of the future. Uh, So if you don't mind, let's start off with you sharing a little bit about your journey. Sure. Yeah. So I've worked with homeless individuals for the last 10 years. So to start, I was doing casework working one-on-one to help get jobs, housing, food, very, very tangible needs. Um, But one thing that happened during those four years of casework was tons of clients said to me, Liz, I'm incredibly lonely. And that really got to me emotionally. uh, But also I thought about it from a more of a philosophical level and thought, okay, if a lot of people in one-on-ones are saying they're lonely, How can I figure out a way to bring them together and support one another? So then I transitioned to running art groups and shelters as a way to create a supportive community and gain trust over time. And it's been a bit of a winding road. Then I I saw amazing artwork in the art groups that I ran and realized that there were thousands of existing art groups and shelters across the country. So decided to create a marketplace and curate the top artwork from these shelters to sell it. And that's how we have art lifting. And when you did this, uh, because it is, it's such a unique take on business and giving, um, because this is a, what we call a double bottom line or a benefit corporation, um, and you are not a nonprofit, right? Could you talk a little bit about what that means and also why you decided to go down that road with art lifting? Sure. So there's a, a new wave of socially minded businesses that are for profit, for purpose companies. Um, Tom's, the shoe company, was one of the leaders in that 10 years ago. This whole wave of for profit, for purpose companies is really inspiring to me because uh, I've been in. Before art lifting, I was in the nonprofit world for eight years, and there were so many moments when I just felt like my hands were completely tied, uh, where I wanted to have really fast-growing impact and be able to scale quickly, but in order to do that, I needed to write 15-page grant applications, and um, one particular story was I was running art groups in a, a local shelter in Boston, and I wanted to get more art supplies. And I looked around what grants were available. One of the grants was 14 pages long for just $5,000. And from the day of writing that grant to receiving the $5,000 check, it was a year. And that's obviously an extreme example, but, uh, you know, a ton of my friends are in the nonprofit world and we've felt this hand-tied feeling many times. So um, when my brother and I were starting art lifting, we thought a lot about, okay, if we can create a for-profit company that um, has a social mission and is not only financially sustainable, but can also scale really quickly, then our impact is going to be so much larger than 
you know, constantly asking for grants and spending all of our time uh, writing applications instead of focused on helping our artists make more money. That's, and I think that's a concept that's so important for people to realize that, you know, so many people have these causes or these purpose and passion um, initiatives that they want to dive into more, but it doesn't always have to be a charity. You know, having this concept that actual business, profitable business can change the world is beyond powerful. And in a way, it seems it gives you a lot more freedom. Completely. And one really important note there was a big reason for choosing to create Art Lifting as a benefit corporation, which is code for uh, for for-profit, for-purpose business. Uh, so the one big reason was from listening to the artists and after 10 years of listening to homeless individuals and individuals with disabilities telling me, you know, Liz, I don't want to be a charity case. I don't want another handout. I just want the opportunity to change my own life. That really was a big wake wake up call to me because I think people like myself who have lived such a blessed life and never had to worry about a roof over our heads, you know, have this um, interesting sense of guilt of like wanting to quote unquote help other people who have been less fortunate. Um, But it's been really interesting hearing the perspective of, I don't want this help. I I just want, um, you know, the chance to impact my own life, not someone handing me a sandwich. Yeah, that really struck home. I went to your uh, opening, the gallery in Soho, where you were able to highlight some of the amazing work of the artists that that you work with and help, and their stories, and your mention of really being able to get a job and and support yourself is the ultimate dignity. Um, so that kind of ultimate dignity phrase really resonated with me and hearing these stories straight from the homeless or disabled individuals who are now, uh, they do have a roof over their head and they are now on a much better path. It really was, was interesting because I start to think differently when I do pass, you know, a homeless person on the street or, um, think about the handouts. So can you talk a little bit about how you approach, that situation now, given what you know and your nine, 10 years of working with with the homeless community, when you're just walking down the street and someone asks for money, what do you usually do? So I never give money ever. Okay. That So what I always do is I smile and say, hi, how are you? I think, you know, the biggest thing, I was actually thinking about writing an article dedicated to all the amazing people who I've worked with before and titling it. I am homeless. I'm also a person because I think that really gets to the home of, well, if someone's asking for money on the street, the the common response is like to awkwardly look down and oftentimes walk to the other side of the sidewalk. And like, even if one isn't planning on giving money, I think it's really important to humanize people around us and, um, you know, to recognize their presence instead of making them feel like some leper that's sitting there. It's so true. Just looking at someone in the eyes, whether it's, you know, the person that's checking 
you out at, at Target, out of the checkout line or Starbucks or anyone, just giving that appreciation and, and bearing witness to their journey and to their existence is so powerful. You know, when people just kind of give you that nod that I see you, um, it can be exactly what a person needs in their day just to to feel good or get through something. So that's a great reminder. And kind of diving into, of course, what this podcast is all about, getting to the why not now <laughs> core. Uh, can you think of a time when you consider taking a big step, whether it's your career or personally, and you just finally got to this point to where it was a decision moment and you asked yourself, why not now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so one one thing that led to art lifting was for the last six years, I've run an art show called City Heart that brings together, it's one day a year, an annual show, and it brings together eight local shelter art groups and about 70 artists uh, in the Boston area. And so the show grew over the years and um, Boston Properties, uh, a main property owner in the city, donated the main mall in Boston for us to be able to use it on this one day. And that was a big turning point because all of a sudden there are these strangers who didn't even know about our mission, um, but just loved the artwork. And they were saying, oh my gosh, when's the next show? This is so awesome. Uh, and it was really depressing to say, oh, it's in 364 days. Um, so my brother and I, I distinctly remember a car ride up to visit our grandmother who lives north of Boston. And it was just my brother Spencer and I in the car. And we were thinking about all these customers. And we're thinking like, oh, my gosh, what what a huge opportunity there of um, artists being able to sell every day of the year and expanding this concept to not just being in Boston, but all across the country and even further expanding of, well, we're just selling original art now and artists can only make money once when they sell that original piece. But what if we do prints and products with the artwork on it? Um, so this, it, it's a 45 minute car ride up to my grandmother's house. And I remember we just had so many ideas buzzing and it was such a no brainer cause we already had the customer demands there. Um, so we decided to go for it and flesh out the idea that summer and then launch that fall. Wow. I love that. So this car ride happens and what was the very, very next step? Was it more of true planning or when did you feel like it, it started to become more and more real? Um, it was pretty funny cause the, the art shows in, um, the end of the spring and I'm a sailing coach. So until recently for 11 years in a row, I had coached sailing every summer and been out of the city and it was right before I was leaving. <laughs> so my brother and I decided, okay, well let's, you know, brainstorm this summer. Um, we can, email each other and call each other's cell phones. And we had this amazing intern who was working with us um, out of Boston. And we really just fleshed out the ideas. We um, put together, you know, a spreadsheet of 50 name ideas, um, just the, the very basics. 
And then starting in September, we were working on it much more when I was back in the city. And you were very humble when you mentioned that you're a sailing coach. Um, So I'm going to brag for you for a moment, not changing gears necessarily, but I would love to talk about sailing given the the alignment that we have. But you were the first woman in U.S. sailing history to win the Sportsman of the Year Award, right? I was, yeah. (laughs) Did you have them call it Sportswoman or did they still call it Sportsman? Um, That's a good question. I think... They called it sportswoman. It was really funny. I, I wasn't even at the award ceremony because I didn't know I was eligible because it had only been men before. But I'm pretty sure they called it sportswoman. That's so interesting, all of the unconscious kind of gender bias that we don't even think about. But it's just been ingrained in our vocabulary for so many years. It's, it doesn't even, we don't even think twice. But those little things are starting to pop up more and more. But congrats. That's pretty pretty amazing that um, you are an incredible athlete when it comes to that world. And kind of going back quickly to the art lifting beginning days. So is it, it's true you started in your dorm. Is that right? At Harvard? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> it's a bit funny because I, I did start in the dorm, but I had graduated college. Um, so you're still living in the dorm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my the the big turning point for me last year was uh, my five year college reunion, and I was still in the dorm. <laughs> and I, I finally moved out, but I did start it. Yeah, while I was I was basically a dorm mom in one of the Harvard dorms. That's cool. That's actually probably a goal of a lot of people, just to stay in that world and zone as long as you can. But so so you are in this dorm, and you start this, this company, this is not a nonprofit, this is a company and take me to the moment when you realized, wow, this is, this is growing because I think I, I remember you telling me you had like $4,000 or something you started with and then you're in your dorm and it wasn't like you went out and pitched and got a lot of funding right out of the gate. Right. Right. Yeah. My brother and I just each put in $2,000 of our savings to launch. So a total of 4,000 and Pretty much all of that was for legal fees, to be honest. <laughs> but we figured out we, you know, created a great relationship with a printer who was giving us a bargain, um, and they printed everything on demand for us. So that means as something's ordered, it's printed. So it's extremely low risk as the company. That's how we were able to bootstrap um, to revenue in the six figures actually before we received any funding, which is amazing. And when it came to that point where you thought, okay, I'm going to go out and raise some more money to push this even further. And and seeing where you've net out with quite possibly the most notable and, and recognizable social entrepreneur in the world, so Blake Mikowski, were you looking for a specific uh, funding from a social entrepreneur and just seeking money from that type of a entity? Or were you just kind of raising money by just whoever was interested? Um, that's a great question. We were honestly really open. Uh, we really lucked out by getting the support of Blake and um, the whole Tom's social entrepreneurship team. But yeah, we were open to who invested in us because we knew we had purposely created our business model. So our incentives were perfectly aligned with our artists and as a company. Um, so we decided a normal gallery is 50, 50, and we decided, well, let's 
operate like a quote unquote normal gallery and have 55% of the profit go to the artists and 44% to art lifting and 1% to the shelters we work with. Um, and with our company, unlike other social enterprises, uh, since our incentives are aligned of the more money we make as a company, the more money our artists make, there isn't much risk for you know a slippery slope of non-social investors pushing you away from your mission. Um, so we are really open and we ended up raising 1.3 from a little over 20 investors. Nice. And some pretty big names in there too, even, even beyond Tom's and Blake. It's, it's amazing and a great sign that some of these huge influencers are wanting to back this business model and, and see that. One of the things that I love so much about this business model is the marketability of it. And as a marketer by trade, historically, I've you know loved how organic the message is. It's selling itself uh, pretty much as long as the product is is strong, of course. And I know I give whenever possible my gifts that I give to people for birthdays, for holidays, whatever it might be. Um, they are art lifting uh, gifts, and it's just so cool because you have the story. You get to see you know who the artist was, their story, and and really kind of um, do well, do good with the gift the gifting process too. And that said, one of the things that I'll never forget is when you reach out to me and you said, oh my gosh, Amy Jo, we are going to be on the Today Show. Uh, and obviously an amazing, amazing experience for the company and yourself, but how did you do that? And can you talk it through? Because I think that this story is so inspiring and encouraging to others uh, because you didn't have a, a expensive big time publicist. No, it was crazy. Um, so I guess the story starts with in December, we knew we wanted to get press. So um, I was working with an intern and we just made a spreadsheet of all different reporters and just emailed them, four line emails, and eventually got picked up and the Globe did a story on us. And we got very lucky, and Harry Smith um, from the Today Show happened to read that Globe article, and he ended up reaching out to us and just emailing info at Art Lifting, um, <laughs> wanting to hear more about the story. Uh, it was pretty, pretty much the most surreal email info at Art Lifting has ever received. <laughs> <laughs> and and I love the story. You did such a great job with highlighting your artists and telling your story as well. Uh, and, and it's, I mean, there were people in tears on set at the Today Show. So it was, it was really wonderful and, and it's spreading the word and getting more exposure to, to what you're doing. Um, what, what do you think is the biggest hurdle with double bottom line, do well, do good companies? Um, I think the, the first thing is really education of the public because most people that I know when they hear social good, they assume nonprofit automatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, you know, sharing the idea that, well, in some cases, you can actually have more impact by being a for-profit. And um, getting over that fear of, you know, whenever there's something new, people have worries. And one of the common worries with for-profit, for-purpose businesses is exploitation of, well, are you just using the social mission to get more profit for yourself? 
And, you know, the answer is obviously no, but it's uh, being able to share the story with customers and um, supporters and get them to understand why you decided to do a for-profit route instead of nonprofit. When people say Benefit Corp, an, an actual B Corp, so not an S Corp, not a C Corp, but a B Corp, legally and, and from the, a, a government standpoint, can you describe a little bit of what that means? You'll do a much better job than, than I will, but it really does allow you to protect that social give back component, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're a public benefit corporation filed out of Delaware. And basically, benefit corporation means that you have a legally binding social mission. Um, so, you know, written into when you become a company, the purpose of you existing is your social mission, um, which is really important for when someone has investors. And let's say investors, you know, in a normal corporation, in a C corporation, you, your goal is to maximize their money. Um, but it's a bit more complicated in a B corporation because not only do you have the goal of, you know, maximizing money, um, but you have that second bottom line of maximizing your social impact. Um, so you can, in instances, not listen to investors' wishes and, um, you know, get less money, but maximize your social impact. And that's the the whole concept of of the protection and the B Corp. And now sometimes people refer to certain business models as triple bottom line, which means social footprint, also obviously economic profit footprint, but also the third one is environmental. And is that just more of kind of a, that's also something that fits into the B Corp bucket or is there a whole nother division for triple bottom lines? Uh, no, that it doesn't have its own bucket. It could be a B Corp um, or it could be, I mean, there are many double bottom line companies that are filed as a C corporation. Um, given that B corporation has the legally binding social mission, you have a bit more protection there. But that being said, there's a million amazing C corporations that also have a double bottom line. And the reason I bring this up, not that I'm trying to get into business law and taxation and stuff is because I have so many friends who have said to me, you know, Amy Joe, I I want to start this nonprofit. I want to start this this charity. And they have this um, kind of parallel that they want to have in conjunction with their other day job. I'm using air quotes here. Um, and I, I usually suggest them that they learn a little bit more about double bottom line companies, whether it's a B Corp or not, because it's just the sustainability and the the ability to do more and have more freedom and opportunity um, financially is, is really important. And I think powerful, not only to not maybe just consider it as a, a side hobby legacy charity, but also be able to put more time into it as the entrepreneur and the founder. So um, th- that's kind of why I'm digging in here. I'm not trying to to bore anyone with the B Corp thing, but it's just something that I think more people um, just should learn about and realize that that option is available. And uh, and we'll see more and more of this because it, it really can change the world through, through business and through our day jobs <laughs> uh, and passions and purpose missions, we can. 
Yeah. And just to add on to that, um, I think that's a great point that, you know, full time, you always make much more of a difference than you do, you know, at 9 p.m. after your day job. But a, a big thing for me with thinking about, you know, wanting to encourage more for profit, for purpose businesses is um, with the funds for nonprofits, I think of it as like a, a pot of money that's very limited which consists of individual donations and foundations. Um, There's so many worthy nonprofits that are fighting for this money, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's incredibly limited. Um, So my thought is, well, anyone who can should be growing this pot of money. You know, with the example of art lifting, uh, we're not taking any of that, any of those donations, but we're helping um, not only give money straight to the artists who are earning it, but also give a fund back to all the shelters we work with. But I think that concept can help exponentially increase the amount of dollars that are there to um, really equalize our community and give more people opportunities. Very cool. I hope that they are teaching this in colleges <laughs> because it's, I'm sure it's happening, but um, it's been a while since I've been uh, a student. But I think also the one of the things that is so economical about this is once again the marketing. So if the message and if the the true for purpose for profit balance is there, um, I would think that the business itself and its existence uh, has a message and marketing ability that otherwise wouldn't for just a for profit company. Do you see yourself um, maybe having a less or a smaller marketing budget need, um, and that's a that's a tricky question, of course, because what founder wants to say no? <laughs> I I don't want more marketing dollars, but but kind of in theory, do you do you see what I'm saying? Completely, and um, I think this relates a lot to I heard Blake speak like eight years ago, and he said that um, you know a big benefit of being for profit for purpose is your customers end up being your salespeople. Um, and it ends up being a movement. And that's been completely true for art lifting. Um, we didn't spend, you know, a cent on marketing until very, very recently, um, until two years into the business. And, you know, the fact that we're able to have revenue in the six figures with, you know, basically starting with no cash, $4,000, and not paying for marketing is really telling um, of the power of having a really authentic mission. That's awesome. I think people are a lot more conscious too of where they're spending their dollars. And I know that there's been a lot of reports and research done about millennials, but even transcending that millennial generation, I know for myself that I, I, I definitely have more attention given to where my dollars are being spent, even if sometimes that means paying a little bit more um, to support something that that is is tackling kind of both the do good do well, uh, so we'll see that more and more. I'm pretty confident; it's just my opinion. But um, as uh, we evolve and innovate, this will become a much larger conversation and, and topic. So, uh, shifting gears just once again and looking at kind of your mentors. So you you're relatively young still. I hope you don't mind me sharing, Liz. But you've sure. done you've done some amazing things. Who are your mentors, and and what qualities do you see have resonated the most from your mentors? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, one of my closest mentors is our board member, Frank Moss. Um, he used to run the MIT Media Lab, and he's a serial entrepreneur, and um, he's incredibly humble. And, you know, he has 40 years experience starting and growing businesses, um, some of which went public. And I, I feel so blessed to work with him and, you know, bounce off ideas and, you know, talk about, well, we have three sales channels. Is that are we spread too thin? Should we focus on this now and uh, wait six months for this? And um, it's been a really humbling experience to work with him. That's cool. And uh, when when you think about the future for art lifting, what do you see? Yeah, I see um, a national company. Um, the goal is to build you know a huge company that changes millions of lives and. When I say millions, that doesn't mean we would have millions of artists, um, but our impact, there's a duality there of obviously, you know, art lifting impacts our artists, but equal importance is of our customers. Um, I've heard over and over from customers saying, oh my gosh, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day, I look up at my piece hanging on the wall by Artist X and I know what Artist X has been through. And that helps me keep hoping and me feel uplifted for the day. So my goal is to really keep growing Art Lifting's mission. Um, I dream very big. And one of my dreams is for Art Lifting to be a household name um, and expand to not just sell artwork, but also different products with the art on it um, so we can get more recurring income and help artists make much more money. Love it. So using these prints in different ways, whether it be, are you thinking um, like apparel or, you know, just any kind of goods? Is that kind of what you're, what you're talking about? Exactly. Yeah. So right now we sell cell phone cases. We sell tote bags. We actually partnered with an amazing mattress company called Lisa. And they even have mattresses with one of our artists' artwork sewn into it. I think that that example really proves that the opportunities are endless. Mm-hmm. Um, artwork can be printed on anything, whether it's um, bed sheets or whether it's plates for dinner or um, a tank top. So we're exploring all possibilities there. Super creative. I love that. And also corporate art as well. And having, you know, been pretty close to to you in terms of your vision and, and hearing you talk about it, uh, I can definitely say that Liz has some pretty cool things up her sleeve. So definitely want, will want to follow that. And as it relates to other people who are, are thinking about, you know, tackling their why not now, what advice would you have to them for them? Uh, especially given, you know, that scenario where you are in your car driving to your grandmother's house with your brother and you were in this kind of all of a sudden uh, aha moment zone. What advice do you have for other people who might be considering doing something different? Uh, I think, you know, one big thing is it, it's really answered it easy to say, oh, well, later when I have, you know, more money or blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think one really helpful thing for me was to take a step back and think, okay, well, what do I actually need to survive? Um, once I knew I wanted to jump for it and realize, well, you know, the vast majority of my friends from college have really high paying investment banking or consulting jobs, but 
but I don't need $120,000 a year to survive. Um, and for me, you know, I lucked out and was able to get this position at Harvard in the dorm where I got free room and board. Um, so from art lifting, I didn't get a cent for the first year and a half. Um, but I also didn't need it. Um, I just got, you know, a monthly subway pass and I had free room and board and would pack Tupperware for lunch. Um, so I think that's the first thing of being realistic and realizing how little you need to survive and then trying to think out of the box of, okay, well, naturally with entrepreneurship, you're not going to make a million bucks the first day, but how can I, um, make a little money spread really far? That's, it's just so cool that, you know, as impressionable as we are when we are exiting college and, and trying to figure out what we want to do next. And that question is just kind of glaring at us. Um, the decisions you made and the path that you've taken is, is really cool. And also look at where it's gotten you now. I mean, you're able to do what you love, grow a business and you have some of the most amazing people supporting you. Um, and, and it's that perfect example of where passion, purpose, and skill collide, bliss resides. So uh, awesome. And as far as the, the question of the future, so is there anything that you've been thinking about doing or considering, but you haven't yet, and you might need just that bump or push from yourself uh, to say, you know, why not now? And kind of feel again or, or resurrect the the same type of feeling that you had when you were driving in the car with your brother to your grandmother's house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking a lot about this question before we started chatting today. In general, with art lifting, we've purposely been extremely lean and acting quickly on ideas. Um, so my why not now actually relates to my personal life. Um, I'm really into family history and genealogy. And for years, I've been dreaming about making a huge family tree, painting one um, with both sides. So um, after this podcast, I think that's going to be my goal to complete one. Wow, that is so cool. That is great. And so you think or you know? I know. Okay. You, you have to keep <laughs> To it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, I, I don't know if you've used Ancestry.com, but I have in the past. And it's always a fun thing to do, I think, on holidays with with family members. And sometimes you've played enough games and you can only do that so much. And it's kind of fun to do that. Have you ever tried tried that out? I Yes. I'm a huge fan of Ancestry.com. I actually... Um, I was really lucky to get a scholarship from the Rotary to be able to do uh, uh, my master's in Scotland. Um, but one of my big motivations for going there was my uh, most recent immigrant in my family is from Scotland, my great-grandmother. Um, so I worked a lot with Ancestry.com and family members to go find birth certificates and death certificates and marriage certificates while in Scotland. And be able to upload them all. I love it. I love it. And just as, just for full disclosure, we are not sponsored by Ancestry.com. We just genuinely like it. So if anybody's wondering <laughs> out there, although we may be someday, who knows? Um, I, I was going to say, we should be. <laughs> I know, right? But it is such a cool idea to actually paint your own family tree using the resources and technology through stuff like Ancestry that can get you the information that you don't have. That's what was so fun is to 
discover these tips and um, what do they call them? Leaves? I think there's a leaf that pops up when you get a new tip. I can't remember, but uh, it's that's that's really cool. And your very first step, what will that be? Um, I think the first one is going to be simplifying. Uh, I met, oh, I have a ton of relatives in Ireland and I met them um, the year I was living in Scotland and they printed out what we have for that side of the family. And it was 10 printed pages long. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that could get overwhelming. So this is a mural all of a sudden, <laughs> not a painting. So I think the first step is just going to be to figure out how many generations I want to cover and um, what the the visual way I'm going to do it. And then I can just buy a canvas and get started. Very cool. I love it. Well, keep me posted. And I would love to follow that that project uh, along. And it's a great Why Not Now. Uh, you can totally bring a, a family together too, and something you can share digitally you know, with people all over the world. To wrap up, I just have a few rapid fire questions. Um, number one, are you reading anything right now or what is your all-time favorite book? Yeah, I'm reading um, Under the Banner of Heaven right now by John Krakauer. Um, I just started this weekend. It's really interesting. It's about uh, the history of part of it, the Mormon church, but, um, a large part of it, fundamentalist Mormons. Um, and just talking about how with every single religion, there can be extremists who distort the goal of the religion. Um, and it's giving an example of it. What keeps you up at night, Liz? Um, the main thing is art lifting, um, figuring (laughs) out how to make it profitable and, how to scale it as quickly as possible. And what advice would you give to your younger self? Final question. I would say um, don't doubt yourself because, you know, for me, I never would have guessed we'd raise $1.3 million to grow art lifting. Um, but I had a lot of advisors who pushed me along. And I think, you know, to my younger self, it would have made a difference to just go for it and not think that just because your background is social work doesn't mean you can't get investment. Very cool. That's a great way to wrap up. And uh, for more about Liz and and her company, Artlifting, you can check out artlifting.com. It's A-R-T. L-I-F-T-I-N-G. And thank you so much for being on the show, Liz. I hope to have you back soon. Thanks so much, Amy Jo. One of my favorite things about Liz is that she's hungry and she's willing to do whatever it takes to make this idea and this impact come alive for artlifting. Here she was. She graduated from Harvard. Her friends are getting their fancy big corporate jobs with their cush salaries. And Liz decided to keep living in the dorm and eat out of Tupperware for lunch. She asked herself what she really needed to survive so she could go and build this company that has impact. We talk a lot about the relationship that guests have with money on the show and that that kind of operating system that we all decide uh, to use in terms of, you know, scarcity or abundance. And I was thinking about kind of this topic and, and notion of what is enough. I went to Ethiopia a few years ago and witnessed how very little people had over there and very few possessions, but 
most of them were pretty happy. And I realized what enough looks like. And when you do that, you kind of instantly become rich. And I have to remind myself from time to time, especially when making big decisions about that experience, but it's a great kind of filter to use. So this past week, I took another road trip. I had to go down to Denver and I opened up the Why Not Now hotline and I was taking calls and and hearing from people from all over the, the world, really. And I spoke with this gentleman and his name is Ed. He's from New York, and Ed Neindorf, I'm hoping hoping I say that right, uh, calls up and he told me his why not now story. He basically woke up one day after spending a long time working a job that he didn't really like, chasing a promotion that he really didn't want, but working his butt off to get that promotion. And he woke up one morning and decided that's it he's done. So he decided this in the shower, evidently, and then called his work and gracefully quit. And he didn't have a backup plan. And he said to me that he intentionally put his back against the wall because he knew he would be able to then have the motivation and kind of the drive and hunger to make it work, to figure out what he did want to do. So that day when he made that call, he quit his job. He then cashed out his retirement. Uh, He had a small fund for retirement, and he bought himself a laptop. Two weeks later, he ends up getting his first client. He's helping uh, individuals with marketing. And then another client comes on, another client comes on. Needless to say, he said he's happier than he's ever been. And I just thought it it was an interesting story because he intentionally didn't really have a backup plan. He knew he would create his own, but he didn't have anything else to jump to per se. And it reminds me of, you know, that whole, we can't give ourselves an out sometimes. He knew if he did this, he would follow through. He would have to. And um, he says he just really enjoys getting up every day. So Ed from New York City, thank you so much for calling in. I've talked to so many people. It's inspiring. Feel free to give me a call on the Why Not Now hotline. I have my own Why Not Now bat phone. And it's 929-399-6833. If I don't pick up, I'm either on another call or I'm busy. So leave a message and we might use it on the podcast. If we don't uh, share your story, we might actually even use your voice message. So that's been kind of fun. As for books and the Shelfie Club, I completed Untethered Soul and I'm re-listening to that actually. And I've just restarted On My Own Two Feet by Amy Purdy. I read that quite a while ago, and I just opened the book back up because she will be on the show next week. So I'm refreshing my memory. It's a really good story about her experience. She lost both of her legs and then went on to become an Olympic snowboarder. So quite the treat in store for you for next week. And as a reminder, the Jim Quick episode which was a couple of episodes back, is amazing. And he actually taught me how to speed read. So I have increased my pace and retention by about 50%, which is kind of amazing because you can get more read (laughs) and also a little bit more time back in your day. So if you're interested in that, check out Jim Quick. And um, it takes like 10, 15 minutes. He has videos out there and make sure you listen to the podcast the Why Not Now podcast, and we'll see you next week. 
I want to hear what your why not now is. Please share it with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Amy Jo Martin. I'll send a signed copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Renegades Write the Rules, to the first 200 people who listen, rate, and leave an honest review of the podcast in iTunes. And you'll also get a free month subscription from our friends at Headspace. This is only available to Why Not Now listeners. Once you've left a rating and review on iTunes, just email your iTunes handle name and your mailing address to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com and we'll get your package in the mail to you. For detailed show notes, head to amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. That's where you'll find links to things we discussed on the show, special offers, and how you can keep in touch with guests. Hat tip to my buddies Ash and Devin at Rock Salt Music for our tunes today. You just listened to the talented John Coggins in Let's Go and Let It Ride. And a jump high five to my talented husband, Richard Gruer, for producing the show and being patient with me. See you next time. Until then, why not now?